Uh, would you open your Bibles this morning um, to, a dear, to, to a dear friend, I want to call this, to our friend, the book of Hebrews. I know, I know, my wife. I have. I've, this morning, I just got so mushy in just finalizing my notes. And, but the mushiness ended really quickly when Jan saw the congregational outline, and she said, are you preaching? This, this is so short. What is this about? Yes, honey, I am preaching. Um, this is a second-to-last sermon in Hebrews. Last week, we, we, we spent a several weeks in verses 20 and 21, and I encouraged you that the application last week was not something you were being called to do. It was, it was great truths that you were being called to believe. Believe that the God of peace raised up Jesus from the dead. Re- believe that this Jesus is our great and living shepherd. He, we, he is that by the propitiating blood of the eternal covenant. And because of that, believe that he will restore all the parts of you that are broken. And he'll restore you to to the design that God has for your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Believe that he he will give you everything good so that you can do his will. Believe that he's at work in you to do that which is pleasing in his sight. Aren't those great truths to believe? And as the author closes the book, he calls us to not merely trust these truths in response to this sound doctrine, this word of Scripture, but he also calls us to obedience. So it's the classic trust and obey, because there's really no other way, is there, to be happy in Jesus. So would you read with me? We'll start in verse uh, chapter 13, we'll start in verse 20, and we'll read through verse 25. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is no wasted word in Scripture. And even though it seemed like the amen that we just read would have been the great conclusion of this book, we're so thankful that you're a speaking God down to the last syllable of the book. So God, would you speak to us? Open our eyes, melt our hearts, empower us with your spirit to obey your will in making disciples for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've got to tell you, I've got to just brag on our elders. Um, So grateful for Hugh and Alan. 
I'm so grateful for our soon-to-be-recognized head deacon, Steve. I'm so grateful for our newest ministry staff member who gets applause for his announcements, Eric. <laughs> I, you need to know that almost anything good you experience from God and me is because of what I learned from them. I truly stand on their shoulders. A case in point was a discussion I had with Alan about how to close Hebrews. I was going to try to end it by teaching Hebrews 13, 20 through 25 in just one sermon. Mainly because 22 through 25 at first glance could seem like Paul just attaching a few personal updates and maybe some personal notes, you know, at the end. And Alan encouraged me, though, to let Hebrews 13, 22 through 25 stand on its own. And I'm so glad he did. I think there's a lesson here for all of us. I know there's a lesson here for all of us. We need to remember that what could seem like mere closing comments in Scripture are nevertheless divinely inspired words. Because we hold to the doctrine of inspiration and therefore to the doctrine of the sufficiency of all Scripture, we must approach these words with the same conviction that they are also profitable, as Hebrews 13, 21 has already told us, right? To restore us, to restore us and make us whole, to equip us with everything good, to do his will, and, and to know he's at work in us, to do that which is pleasing in his sight. These verses too. Our verses today deal with obedience to God's word. Yet we could so easily gloss over these exhortations because they seem less important. They seem maybe a little, little more minor. Precious ones, there are no small commandments in Scripture. And I just want you to think of that. There are no small commandments in Scripture. I hope we learned some of that in last week's sermon. We can too often think that the will of the Lord has to be associated with God using our lives to cause big and fast changes in culture. And unless we're, unless we're changing culture in about 17 days, we're somehow failing. Uh, that that to, to be in the will of God must mean that you have to grow gigantic churches. Unless we're in the will of God, maybe that, that, that if we were in the will of God, that we would solve social injustice. God wants us to have hearts and a desire to see his name glorified globally. Big things, to be sure. But the normative way that God brings about his global glory is by seeking to help us live in daily obedience to his commands. There's no way to get there apart from daily obedience. And sometimes we just, don't, I, I don't think it's just me. It's just so easy to bypass what is clearly revealed that I need to do today in Scripture because I'm so anxious to get to that day. I don't know about you. It's just too easy to minimize the command to love your wife as Christ loves the church. It's too easy to minimize the command to submit to your husband as unto the Lord or to train up your children in the way they should go because we have to get on to solving racism. You know, when I was younger, I, 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 went to, <laughs> I went to New Mexico State University. The reason I giggle, I always just giggle. Well, I, I giggle about a lot of things. But, you know, that, I, you know, Harvard wouldn't let me in. 
New Mexico State let me in. And um, I changed majors at least three times. My dad says it was four, but because he's paying the bills, so he's probably, he's probably more accurate. Um, and it was after the second change, and I was looking at the changing my, my major again, and, and I was freaking out, saying, Dad, I just so, I was a Christian, I hadn't been well taught, I hadn't been well discipled, and I, Dad, I just, I don't know, I, I don't know what the will of God is for my life, and I, I so want to be involved in the will of God, don't you want to be involved in the will of God, and, 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 and Dad, I'm just freaking out, I don't know what major to choose, and he said, son, your generation looks at the world way differently than my generation. I said, Dad, what do you mean? He said, you know, he said, my understanding of my calling growing up was that I was to be a faithful husband and a faithful dad. That was my identity. That, that was how I saw the foundation of my calling. And he says, you're, he says son, you're, you seem to be making that small. He said, it's big. <laughs> it's big. <clears throat> he said, I saw my vocation. I saw the work that I do. It was certainly a way for God to shine, help me. You know, dad wasn't, he was, a, he was, he professed faith in Jesus. But I don't know that he was saved yet at that point. He did get saved. But at that point, he said, I, I see the work that I do in the community as, as hopefully trying to better the community. You know, but you know what that work mostly does? That work mostly provides me an income to do what I need to do best, and that's to be a husband and a dad. Pretty good stuff, don't you think? That's pretty good advice. I love my dad. <laughs> I miss him so much. Uh, I'd like to be more like him one day. Well, what about racism, though, Pastor Billy? Did you know God attacks racism one Christ-centered marriage at a time? And we just think so small of the impact of a Christ-centered marriage on racism. Did you know that, that, that God puts down racism through the discipleship of children to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? There's more we can do, certainly, in addition to marriage and family, but there's not less we can do. There's not less we can do. So let's don't minimize the importance of spirit-empowered, grace-dependent obedience. And that leads us to these closing verses, doesn't it? Because it would be so easy to think that these closing admonishments and exhortations are, are kind of minor. Like, we need to get on to the big things of solving culture's problems. Here's the main point from this morning. God wants us to regularly see Christ exalted in Scripture. Because as we behold him, we will become like him in both his character and his obedience. So our first point this morning is that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, has called us to see the exaltation of Christ. To see Christ exalted. Hebrews 31, 13, 21, it ends with, um, through Jesus Christ... To whom be the glory forever and ever. So there's this crescendo. But he's not just referring to just the verse or two right before that. He is, he, he's saying to the glory of Jesus Christ forever and ever as the, as the response of our hearts because of the whole book of Hebrews. Not just in reference to 20 and 21. It is the praise-filled summary of the whole book. He, in essence, is declaring. So our sermon 
title, the theme of our, um, our, the title of our sermon series is Jesus is better. That's what, that's what that, that's what that little praise is. Jesus is better. Jesus is preeminently better. Jesus is superlative. <laughs> Jesus is superlatively better. I should have just stayed with Jesus is better. <laughs> That's easy to say. In other words, Jesus is Lord. That's what the book is saying. You know, it could be argued that Hebrews is perhaps one of the most Christological books in the Bible, at least in the New Testament. Christ exalting, it, it's just chapter after chapter of exalting Christ. It paints the redemptive storyline of the Bible. I think that's why. It's like biblical theology. It's, it's, it's the biblical theology of Genesis through Revelation in one book. It's, a, it's been a glorious friend. It's been a glorious book to us. I'll give you just one example from chapter one. Are you ready? There's just 14 verses in chapter 1. And so this is what we learned in chapter 1. Christ is the definitive and final voice of God. He exactly represents God's nature. He upholds all things by his word. He purified our sins. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's better than all the angels combined. His name is more excellent because he is the only begotten son of the Father. He is worshipped by angels. He occupies heaven's throne because he himself is God and king. He rules with righteousness. He is anointed by God. He is the Lord. He lasts forever. He created the heavens and the earth. He makes his enemies to be a footstool under his feet. And we say, amen. And that's just chapter one. <laughs> that was just chapter one. And that's why Hebrews chapter 12 calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Okay, here we go. Coffee cup question. Let's have a cup of coffee together now. Have you struggled to fix your eyes on Jesus this week? Chances are there's something, a few other things that your eyes got fixed on this week, right? Either pain, fear, worry, other things that, that became big in your eyes and Jesus became maybe more small in your eyes. Do you see how we regularly need to see Christ exalted? We regularly need to see him as big as he is. We don't make him any bigger. He is already the king of kings and lord of lords. But our eyes need to regularly see him that way. Because if we don't, something else, something else, even this week, somebody, for maybe even this morning, your heart has been so weighed down because something else looked bigger than Jesus. <laughs> I've done this in children's sermon illustrations, but I've had more adults tell me they get more out of this illustration than the kids. It's this, okay? And if you want to do this, if you want to humor me and do this, fine. If you don't, I understand, totally understand. But if you were to close one eye, okay, keep the other eye open, and then put your thumb out, okay? Okay, Deacon, thank you. Yeah, okay, Marcus, <laughs> thank you. So, and, and put your thumb up in, in perspective to me. Look at me. Put your thumb up to where you see your thumb and me. So at this point, I, I loom a lot larger than your thumb, right? Okay, but now pull that thumb right back up against your eye. Keep going. Marcus, that's too... Put it back. Marcus, put it against your eye. Unless you have a sty or something. I don't know, you know, but... put Marcus, against your eye. Okay. Okay. 
Now, can you see me? What's bigger, me or your thumb? Right, right, yeah. right now, your thumb is bigger. Boy, I think that's just day-to-day life, isn't it? Isn't that just day-to-day life? Um, if Christ is not big in your eyes, your past or present pain are going to be too big. Your past or present pain is caring. I mean, some of you have almost given up that God can heal your broken heart because of how much you were hurt in the past. Boy, that past hurt. I don't know what it might have been, and I, 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 I grieve with you. And if you want to pray about that, we would love as elders to be praying for you and to walk with you through that. But what, what has happened is that past pain, that past pain is just like the thumb in, in your eye. It's become the most influential thing about you. It's too big in your eyes. If Christ is not big in your eyes, your past or present happiness. So, it's, so here we go. It's not just pain. It's the hope for pleasure. It's the hope for satisfaction. It's the hope for enjoyment. It's, it's the hope. And isn't it amazing that, that something, even good desires. Remember John Calvin said, that, that for Christians, one of the chief sins of Christians is wanting good things too much. You know, we're not just, um, where can I get my next crack fix? You know, it's, it's I want to be married, and that's a good thing. But my thumb is in the eye. My marriage has become the biggest thing in my life. And I, I want it too much, and I'm not seeing it in perspective of seeing Christ exalted. And suddenly, getting this, this need, this desire satisfied is consuming. Is that, am I speaking to anyone else here besides me? Um, because I so regularly do that. You guys, if we're not seeing Mount Everest, so let's, let's think of Jesus as Mount Everest. And if we're not regularly beholding Mount Everest, you're going to think the Monaghan sand dunes are way too... <laughs> I mean... Don't we do that? We need to see Jesus as the Mount Everest preeminently better than anything the world can offer us. Because then, guess what? Then you can enjoy the Monaghan... Just in case, for any of you who like the Monaghan... I'm not dissing the Monaghan sand dunes. But listen, now you can really enjoy the Monaghan sand dunes when they are not the ruling thing. You know that Jesus is better. Mount Everest is better. And that, oh boy, that's impressive. And I'm so glad this exalted Christ gives us things to enjoy in the world, but not to consume us, right? In Hebrews and in the Bible, this exaltation of Christ was, was to lead to something. So what my, my hope and prayer is, is that as we study this book, uh, I don't, golly, I should have, Alan or Eric, could you this week find out how many sermons we preached in Hebrews? Um, my hope and prayer, it was, a, it was a long time. My hope and prayer is that you just weren't informed. Because to see Christ exalted is not just informative, it's transformative. And that's where we're going to go for our second point. So would you follow me to point number two? Hebrews has called us to obey the exhortations of Christ. 
So where I get that phrase that when we behold him, we become like him, that's not, I didn't make that up. If you want to just make a note there, it's 2 Corinthians 3.18. So you will become like what you behold. And you know what? You know what? Isn't that what happens with Dallas Cowboy fans? Now, I'm, I am dissing Cowboys fans a little bit here. So, let me you know, no, listen, I'm a Saints fan, and I do this too. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just want to reel it in, Billy, reel it in. But at least Saints fans sounds more biblical than Cowboys fans. But anyway, um, isn't that what happens to Cowboys fans or Saints fans? that we so regularly behold our beloved team that we no longer see ourselves as mere fans. We start talking like this. We start saying, wasn't our offense awesome this week? Or our defense couldn't have stopped a high school football team. That sounds more like the Cowboys than the Saints, but don't we do that? Lee High School, Midland High School, Midland Classical. It's just because, because we behold these things so much. And somehow we start thinking we're part of it. We become like them. Oh my goodness, you guys. If that's what happens with Cowboys football, what happens if you behold Jesus? Isn't that hopeful? That you can be progressively changed into his likeness, into his character, into his mission, and to obey like he's obeyed. And how do we do that? By regularly seeing Christ exalted. Seeing Christ exalted in Hebrews is, is meant to transform us. And that's where the writer is going. So look at verse 22. So get your eyes in, in the precious word of God. The writer says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. Let's unpack that. The, the, I, I appeal to you and brothers. Let's start there. There's a loving urgency here, but I love this brothers. Let's don't overlook that. You know, we live in West Texas. A colloquial way to talk is to call each other, hey, brother. You don't have to say it that way. I don't know how you say it. But, you know, hey, brother, how are you doing? Brother this, brother that, sister this, sister that. Nothing wrong with that. But I don't know that it's carrying the weight that, that Scripture is, supposed to, is, is communicating here. He's calling them brothers, and it's including sisters in this. And it's an expression of gentleness and warmth. He's looking at them as family. He loves them. He wants the best for them. He knows many of them are hurting. We're going to touch on that in a minute. Because of the persecution, he knows that some may be on the verge of turning away from Christ to something else. He knows he's been called by God to give both a view of Christ that warms the heart. Remember that we used this phrase in the very beginning. Hebrews is going to warm your heart because you're going to see Christ exalted. But Hebrews is also going to warn your heart. So Hebrews warms and warns, but it's all wrapped up in the loving affection of a pastor. I once heard a story of this guy. He was at the water cooler at work on a Monday, and he and his coworker were talking, and he said, well, how was your weekend? It was all right. It was all right. What did you do yesterday? Well, I went to church. I hope none of you talk like that. <laughs> you make me really sad. I went to church. He said, what would your pastor preach on? He said, he told us we're, we're all going to hell. He said, is that all? He said, yeah, that's pretty much all he ever preaches on. 
you're all going to hell. A few months later, they're having the same conversation, and now the guy's a little bit more upbeat and talking. Hey, what'd you do? And, you know, well, yeah, yeah, I went, to, I, went, I went to church yesterday. Wait, you used to be so bummed out about going to church. Why are you excited now? And he, the guy says, we have a new pastor. <laughs> Don't get any ideas. <laughs> we have a new pastor. And he says, oh, really? What, what does he preach to you? And he says, he tells us we're all going to hell. And the guy says, what? I thought that's what the last guy told you. And he said, yeah, but this pastor, he weeps when he tells us. I think there's that sense in this brothers. He's, he's speaking to you that way. Philip Hughes is a wonderful commentator on Hebrews, and he says that the book of Hebrews reads like a sermon that is written like a letter to dear friends. And I hope that's what you've been experiencing as we've studied it. He calls it a brief word of exhortation. The word of exhortation is used in other scriptures to define a sermon. So essentially, the book of Hebrews was intended to be a sermon. It was a sermon to its original recipients. It says it was a brief word. It takes, about, it takes me about an hour and 15 minutes to read Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 13, verse 25, which means it'll probably take you about 45 minutes, okay? Um, he calls this hour-long sermon a brief word. And you get a sense he's almost apologizing, but he's not apologizing like I do. I apologize to you about my sermons being too long. He's actually apologizing because there's so much more he could say. He just doesn't have enough time to magnify the living God in a manner worthy of him. This is what he could do for now. Hebrews 5.11 says, concerning Jesus, we have much to say, but you've become dull of hearing. That was a convicting verse, wasn't it? It's saying that, you know, we could say more about the book, about the Lord and his exaltation, but right now you just seem to be so stubborn about holding on to a specific sin, or you're, you're, so, you're so in bondage to holding on to the pain of your past, and, and it's hard for us to move forward. We can't go on until the Lord deals with your heart and what you're going through. Hebrews 9 verse 5, he's speaking of the tabernacle, and he's, 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 he's talking about how Jesus fulfills and illustrates the parts of the tabernacle, but he goes and he says, but these things we cannot speak of now in detail, because there would have been so much to say. Hebrews 11, he says, what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I speak of Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and Samuel and the prophets. So he's, he's really apologizing that he's had to constrain himself for this hour-long sermon. He says this final exhortation really is summing up all the previous exhortations in Hebrews. The word exhortation means um, a call to action. It means that there is something to respond to in regard to God's word. You're, how can I say this? How can I say this? I don't believe you should ever leave any auditorium, any sanctuary, before you have, you have done some business with God in prayer, resolving that by His grace and empowered by His Spirit, here is how you're going to obey the clear commandments from the text that day. How many of us do that? 
It's like, oh, that was a good point. That was a good thing. Oh, he's, he's going too long again. I mean, there's so many things we think of. We think we've got to beat the Baptist to, to Outback or something. I don't know what. You know, we got to do. How many of us stop and say, God, thank you for speaking to me. Now, God, would you fill me with your spirit? Because I don't want to just hear the word. I want to do the word. And that's what this last little part is meant to do for us. It's, 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 a, it's a word of encouragement, yes, for sure. And it's a command to obey in regard to any correction or commandment that the, the scripture is calling about for that, that portion of his word. But it's the coolest thing because the word itself means to come alongside you. And so the, what you should be picturing in this is, is literally the Holy Spirit. Of course, Jesus has joined himself to you. But in a manifest way, Jesus comes alongside you. He superintends his word so that when you desire to obey it, you can have great confidence that it's Christ in you that's giving you the power to do it. So it's, it's this coming alongside. Doesn't that comfort us in our time of need? I mean, th there is such a difference between feeling like, okay, I've got to move forward down a hard path by myself versus somebody who I love putting their arm around me and saying, you're not alone. Let's do this together. That's the sense of this text. Have you experienced that recently? Talk to the Lord about it. Say, God, I just, I want to experience afresh this presence of the Holy Spirit giving me a desire to obey and empowering me to obey, to obey. So Lord, can you help me experience the reality of you coming alongside me, whether it's encouragement or exhortation? Here's where it gets a little sticky. He says, bear with this. Isn't that an interesting thing? The word literally means endure this. It's kind of funny. Think about it. So please endure this sermon. Now, I should be saying that to you because I'm not preaching divinely inspired, right? I mean, I'm preaching the divinely inspired word, but my words are not divinely inspired. His word was, you have to endure my preaching. But why would he say, endure this word, brief word of exhortation? You, another translator translated as put up with it. But to us, that kind of sounds like negative sort of thing. You know what he's saying? This is why this, before, you know, so many times we introduce the preaching of the word by tell, saying, this is like no other book. This is like no other book. This is the voice of the living God. This is the voice of him who created, I don't know how many thousands of galaxies by just his word. This is the voice of one who had his innocent son be horribly crucified and killed for our sins. This is the one who by his word raised his son up from the dead. This is the one who by his word opened your heart to hear the gospel and to give you faith to believe. This is no ordinary book, is it? This is no ordinary book. So here's what I think it's saying. Let the word of God be weighty as it is weighty. I mean, can you imagine, Ellen, and you guys, there's so, so many of you that are backpackers and campers and stuff. To me, camping is finding the locust hotel, lo, the locust, the locust, well, yeah, maybe the locust hotel, uh, the, the closest hotel. And I don't understand it. You know, I love to see beauty in nature as long as it's along the interstate. You know, I mean, that's, 
just kind of me. But, you know, I love to hear Alan and those guys, and they talk about this in Nepal in terms of the trekking and everything. You have to carry something. There's something that you carry as a responsible hiker. Now, you don't want to carry un unimportant things. That's where kind of Hebrews 11, you know, we're going to run the race with endurance, laying aside the encumbrances that slow us down. But there's still something you carry. There's a weightiness to God's word. It's, it's like, so, so we are carrying, we are regarding God's word as weighty because in it is what we need to survive. Make sense? Does that make sense, that illustration? Alan, did that, was that Okay. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Because as a non-hiker, backpacker, you know, I, I want to make sure that's okay. So bear with this sermon. Keep listening to it again and again. The book of Hebrews, I'm talking. Don't avoid passages that correct and convict you. If you're visiting with us today, we teach expositorily. Because we, listen, as pastors, we don't, we're, we don't trust our own hearts in the sense that you know, it's just really easy just to preach the fun things. But it's not just the fun things that change your life. So we, we preach verse by verse by verse by verse to hear God in the context in which he inspired the scripture. Hebrews is, is not just Christological. It's probably one of the most confrontational books of the Bible. And I think it's because it's most Christological. When we see Christ for who he is, we, we tend to see ourselves more clearly, don't we? And we tend to see where we need to change and where we need to grow. We need to hear things like, don't be like Esau. Don't refuse him who speaks. This is all Hebrews verses. Don't go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth because there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. We need to hear things like it's impossible to renew unto repentance those who regularly seek to re-crucify Christ and put him to open shame. We need to hear those things. We need to hear things. We need to hear pastors using the scriptures to be able to lovingly speak to you and express a concern that, you know, I'm worried about you because you seem to have no love of Jesus. You attend church here and there, but there seems to be no love of Jesus, a love that compels you to obey Jesus. You seem to have love for everything else. You seem to have time for everything else. Do you really know him? That's what the book of Hebrews has challenged us about, hasn't it? This pastor has done such a wonderful job to not merely teach and equip them from what they're going through now, but this is one that really hit me as a pastor in studying this book. You guys, if you're visiting with us today and, and you don't feel a connection with our church, I totally, I, can, I get it. If you want me, to, I'd love to talk to you about maybe finding a church that you feel like might be a fit for you. I'd love to do that because that's what's most important. It's not that you be here, it's be where God wants you to be. But please take this with you. Don't look for pastors who just speak about your current life. Who just speak about, oh, let me just give you three easy things so that you can have a better day tomorrow. I've told our church this. When I'm preaching, I, I ask God, please, above the heads of our precious church family, let me see eternity. Because if I'm not preparing you for that, I shouldn't be a pastor. I want to commend 
and express appreciation to you. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing these things not because you are a resistant church family. Other pastors have told us this, that when they visit here and the, the, the care you give them and the openness you have, but other pastors have said, I don't get to preach. In their own churches, they have this experience, but if they're, they're other places, he said, I don't get the opportunity to preach to people who so want to hear the word, even if it's going to convict them to the core, even if it's going to correct them. Thank you for the privilege of serving as your pastors. Because that's just not the norm in a lot of churchianity in the United States. Thank you for wanting to hear God's voice, whether it's through encouragement and, and correction that you want them both. We're so blessed to serve you. As a result, we hope that because of Hebrews, preaching the gospel to yourself has increased. So here we go with some other Hebrews parts. Forgiving one another and not allowing roots of bitterness. How we pray that God has been doing that through his word. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together even more as you see the day of Christ coming. Stirring each other up to love and good deeds. We pray that's increased. Being faithful in the midst of persecution. We pray that's increasing. Honoring marriage. We pray that's increasing. And there's so much more we could say. He brings out two other specific exhortations. The first one is an exhortation for us to pray for and stand with the persecuted church. Hebrews 13 began with encouraging us to remember those in prison as though in prison with them. Do you remember that? Remember those who are mistreated because you are one body with them. So we want to certainly be alert to those admonitions. Verse 23 says that one of the people that he hoped they would remember and pray for was Timothy. We now see when he says, remember those in prison, at the end of the book we see one of them was Timothy. Be praying for Timothy. Have compassion for Timothy. And, and then he brings this great news that Timothy has been released. Did you see that in verse 23? Can you imagine what that would feel like? I mean, think about the church planning pastor we work with in Asia. He, we've told you again and again, he is wide open that if God, he, he's, he's going to go where he needs to go and say what he needs to say, even if it results in his imprisonment. If it's against the law to baptize, he's still going to baptize. If it's against the law to, to give communion, he's going to still give communion. And, and he just says, if I go to prison, then that's where I'm called to do ministry. Because the souls need Jesus there too. If that happened and we heard he just got released, especially those of you who have gone on the trip with us, or some of you, he's been here, right? That precious pastor's been here to meet you and to love on you. And wouldn't we just go, yes, way better than the Cowboys touchdown. Way better. Because when we behold him, we become like him, right? And we, we start celebrating the things that are most worth celebrating. So Hebrews was written to the persecuted and hurting and suffering Christians. Are you hurting and suffering today? Maybe it's not because of, of persecution like they were going through, but you've been going through stuff. Oh, how we pray Hebrews has been healing your broken heart and giving you faith to persevere. This is no tickling of the ears, was Hebrews, was it? There was no fluff in this kind of Christianity. This was not a time of picking churches that had the best music or the best children's programs. 
This was a time to equip the church to love Christ and his mission, to represent him and his gospel in whatever trial we face. It's to prepare us to endure, to prepare us to suffer well in Christ. Hebrews 11.35 talks about being tortured. Remember, there was, there was all the amazing stories of deliverance, but in, in Hebrews 11.35, it talks about other believers being tortured. Other believers actually not accepting their release, which implies they could have been released if they would have recanted. But even if it meant their death, even if it meant their, they had to stay in prison, they would not recant. Don't you want to know Jesus like that? Hebrews will help you. Today, at least 240 Christians are killed per month, eight a day around the world. It's likely that a Christian has been killed for his faith, even while we've been here this morning. In his book, The Insanity of God by H. Greg Lewis and Nick Ripken, the Chinese church considers being imprisoned for your faith as a part of the credentialing process for pastoral ministry. Well, that rules me out. Essentially, they're saying you're not ready to be a pastor among a persecuted people unless you've been willing to be part of the persecuted people. So it's no wonder they would celebrate the news of Timothy being released. So would you remember that church planting pastor in Asia as well as the churches that have been planted and the pastors that pastor them in Asia? Would you remember Rancho 3M outside of Wattis, especially now with all the border situations and everything? Uh, that, that school, that Christian school and orphanage, they need your prayers. Remember Blair and Nicole and the boys in South Africa Pray, pray for their, their faith to be growing so that they could walk through and endure anything they have to do. But let's pray for ourselves. Lord, as our country becomes more and more post-Christian, please make us faithful. Make us faithful. And then, the, and then really goes along with how do we become faithful? Well, the second little exhortation here is to be actively participating in the local church. Billy, where do you get that? Well, here's where I get it from. It's clear that this writer knows these people, and these people knew him. So just as we need preaching for the nourishing of our faith, we also need partners for the perseverance of our faith. It's no wonder so many people tend to want to give up because they have no heart-to-heart -heart connection with other believers who are praying together and spurring each other on with scripture reminders and, and these kind of things. We need preaching and partnership. Greet one another, he says. This greeting, it's the, William Lane, another commentator on Hebrews. This is what he says. I love this. This greeting was a distinct literary form to establish a bond of friendship. It expressed sincere affection in separation and to strengthen personal relationships. So greet one another. How did you realize the importance of greeting each other at the end of a Sunday service? What a, what, a, what, a, what a way to minister. Hebrews, listen, okay. Hebrews does not allow anyone to conclude that they are faithfully living for Jesus if they are not engaged with being discipled by and making disciples in a gospel-centered church. Whew, I know that's a heavy statement, isn't it? Hebrews has no category for I can just be a Christian 
and just kind of flip and flop between this church and that church. And I go here for the worship, and I go here for the youth, and I go here for the... He says to greet all of your leaders and all of the saints. He says to greet your pastors and elder, elders and remember that they have cares. As they're trying to care for you, remember that, that they have cares of their own. And probably a lot of the commentators felt like there was tension in this church because the pastors had to give correction. Thankfully, we don't have much of that kind of tension in our church. But there are times, I mean, I don't know about you. So, okay, here's, here's a window into my yucky heart. Please, if you see me not being patient and loving and encouraging and honoring of my precious wife, not living to present her to the Lord as the woman of God that he wanted her to be and that I would play even the smallest part in helping her become that, please tell me. I need to be corrected. I have, a, I have a major calling as a husband, and I want to do it well. But don't be surprised that when you first correct me, I, I'm not going to do this. I'm probably going to do this. Thank you, brother. I'm like the, I'm like the little kid. On the, in, on the outside, I'm saying, thank you, brother. But on the inside, I'm going, what do you think you are? I don't respond well to correction on the first time you correct me. Do you? I mean, really, if you're honest. So there could be tension when we're, when we're exalting the living God. And then we're saying, oh, my goodness, look at what he's revealing about our hearts and about our marriage and about our discipling children and about our evangelizing the city. And he's showing us some things that need to be corrected. There can be tension. And so one of the things that he's saying here is, greet your leaders. Stay close to accountability. Don't avoid accountability. Run to accountability. And greet them and be a part of their lives and carry their burdens. They're carrying your burdens. Pursue the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, I think Philippians calls it. And then he says to greet all the saints because they knew them too. Do you get the feeling like, wow, these are people that actually knew each other versus going to a church and no one even says hi to you and no one even asks, is it your first time here? And oh, the, the elder said that I probably need to remind you of this. If you come here, we have a very greeting, welcoming church family, that, those that have been here a while. I think about a third of you are new in the last few months. So it could be that you're sitting next to a new person who is shy and they're kind of hoping you'll say hi, and you're kind of hoping they'll say hi, and no hi said. No hi said. Um, so let's make sure we're greeting one another. But it's not, it's, so, so greet those who are here. What, what does the Lord want to use your life to encourage someone else's life? Greet those that you see regularly. What about who's not here? Who do you know that, that should be here? And is not here. Is it just up to me and Alan and Hugh to reach out to him? If it is, we're not going to do a very good job. But if it's all of us greeting them, they might be wandering. They may be hurting so badly they couldn't get out of bed today. Let's go to them. Greet them. Care for them.
He says, those in Italy greet you. They, you get this sense that there's a church partnership that existed here. It's, it's likely that most of the theologians believe that Hebrews was written to a church in Rome, in Italy, and that there were Italian Christians with the writer, wherever the writer was at that time, who were concerned about the local church in, in Rome. It would be similar to us praying for Philip Estrada and the church plant that's just formally started on Easter Sunday. This is their third Sunday, I think. Would you remember Mission City Fellowship in your prayers? That's a sister church for us. And Philip got saved in our church and grew up in this church. Would you be praying that in, in June or July, uh, Christ Church in Conroe is going to be adopted as a sovereign grace church? And, and, and they're going through a major transition of a pastor who's, who's been a pastor for 50 plus years, passing the baton to a younger sovereign grace pastor named Bart Lipscomb. So can we, we pray and be a part and thankful for our partnerships in the gospel? Last is this. Hebrews has called us to receive edification in the grace of Christ. Verse 25 says, grace be with you all. If this isn't just like, bye. It's not that at all. Grace be with you all. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of the exalted Christ, we can confidently live in faithful obedience to the Lord regardless of the trial. That's why he says, grace to you. So, Beth, grace to you, my precious sister. And that's supposed to be just your reminder. I can, I can walk out of this room in confidence that the Lord has united himself to me. The grace of his, his sinless life, the grace of his substitutionary death, the grace of his justifying resurrection, the grace of the gift of his Holy Spirit, the grace of his church, his people. Oh, grace to you, my sister. I'm sorry, I get all caught up. And So how are you doing? I just kind of want to say, how are you doing? How have you been? <sighs> Look how the writer used grace in Hebrews. In 2.9, he tasted death, death for us by the grace of God. In 4.16, let us go to the throne of grace to receive grace to help in time of need. Don't we all need that every day? In 10.29, don't fall away and insult the spirit of grace. In 12.15, don't fall short of the grace of God. What he's talking about is there's future grace for you to be faithful whereby we will reach our heavenly home. Hebrews 13, 9, do you remember this one? It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Grace with you today. May the grace of Christ that forgave your sins, the grace that is sufficient for your daily needs, the grace that is preserving you until the end, oh, may that grace be with you, precious Sovereign Grace Church family. God loves to give us daily grace and being in his word daily. So the author is essentially saying, every verse of this book was grace to you. Grace to you. May that be your devotions, too, right? Oh, grace to me. Grace to me. In other words, he's saying something like this. In conclusion, I entrust you to the abundance and power of present, of past, present, and future grace to sustain your faith. The grace of peace with God and the peace of God. I entrust you to the grace of a risen and living shepherd who guards and guides you. I entrust you to the grace of an eternal covenant that gives you a new heart and secures 
an unbreakable relationship with him. And I'm so glad because if it were up to me to stay saved, I'd be back at New Mexico State doing who knows what. <laughs> I, would be so, I would be so separated from God. Never think that it's up to you to keep your grip finally on him. When he saves you, you are in the grip of grace that is unbreakable and transformative. The grace of God's commitment to equip us with everything good to do his will and be pleasing unto him. Oh, precious ones, this grace be with you. Jesus is indeed better. I'm going to ask that you do this. Alan, would you come and bring the team? Oh, golly. Yeah, oh, thanks for coming anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought I was ending early. Pray that I would be less deluded as a pastor. That, uh, um, would you do this? So next week, we're going to do a one-sermon review of Hebrews. You don't have to pack a lunch. Um, would you sit down this week and read it in one sitting? Just... Just let the Lord speak to you and just kind of receive it as the church who first received it did. As a word from the living God intended to give grace to you. Would you stand with me? I know we're out of time, but I just think this is a good way to close. Um, I want to know you, Jesus, my Lord of the heavens, King of my soul. I trade my treasure and all my rewards, Jesus, to know you, then know you more. Let's sing verse 3, though some should curse, though some.
deepest desire would be to know you more. And now may we go in your peace, Lord. So one of the ways that uh, we can provide a greeting to you is by praying for you. And so Marcus and Michelle, you guys are up this morning, Kenzie and Becky. Uh, You guys, if you'll come up here and these precious people would love to pray for you about anything that the Lord has put on your heart or a need you might be having. And if it's not up here that you're coming and to, to, to receive some of God's grace through prayer, greet each other. Greet each other. And be, be alert to how the Holy Spirit might just give you a word of encouragement for someone else. So, so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make the exalted face of Christ shine upon you. Oh, and be gracious unto you. (laughs) May you see his smiling face in what Jesus has done for you. Oh, may you see his smiling face today. And may his smile give you peace that you didn't come in here with today. May you have his peace so you can go from here to do his will in making disciples for his glory and your joy. In Jesus' name.